You know, years ago, I had an opportunity to serve uh, alongside Pastor Frank and uh, in youth ministry and had an opportunity to connect with the, the teenagers. And then um, as I moved on to another church, I got a chance to work with teenagers there. And I always loved the opportunity to, as you're getting to know them, you start to see their parents in them, right? It's like it was one, it didn't take too long after their their behaviors, maybe their actions, maybe their, just the way in which they conducted themselves. You'd be like, you're so-and-so's kid, right? And it's just like a matter, like it just, it started to, whether you liked it or not, right? Because sometimes their kids can really expose us, right? But, but it just didn't take long after a while. The kid starts to look as much as we don't think that's gonna happen, but our kids start to look like, the parents, and it's just always kind of fun to watch um, our children uh, grow and develop and, and really kind of become our parents because they, they, kind of, they kind of imitate us, don't they? I mean, remember when you were little, just looking at mom or dad and just observing what they did and how they did it and, and just their mannerisms and the ways they spoke. And it just, if you start to kind of pick up after a while, right? It, children love to... To imitate their parents. And sometimes that's really good. Sometimes not so good, right? All right, so full disclosure, long, long time ago, in a land far, far away, my son Josh was very young. And we were in the kitchen and he snapped at his mother. And, and I looked at him and I said, hey, you don't speak to mommy that way. And he said, oh, only you can do that? <laughs> yeah, so sometimes they imitate, right, what you don't want them to pick up. And sometimes, thankfully, there have been times where the good has been uh, on display as well. And so um, I, always loved, I always loved when people would come up to me and say, oh, you remind me of your dad. And, you know, as I got older and, and got to appreciate my dad more and more, it just was always such a compliment to, to um, be a reflection of my dad. I always wanted to be, I always wanted to make my dad proud, right? And he'd always, you, my dad would always remind me, you know, oh, you're a chip off the old block. You remember that line, right? You're a chip off the old block. Or, or somebody would say, you know, the apple doesn't roll far from the tree, right? Kids begin to re- be a reflection of their parents, Well, this morning as we begin chapter five in our study, uh, going through the book of Ephesians, and it's been great just to go line by line and really kind of get a, uh, absorb um, what this letter uh, that Paul writes to the church at Ephesus uh, means to us so that we can apply it in our daily lives. But as we come to chapter five, uh, Paul is laying out for us how our position in Christ as new creations is to be lived out in the world around us. And he'll open up chapter five with the words, you know, be imitators of God, right? Be a chip off the old block. Be imitators of God. And we looked last week at, at how um, our position in Christ ought to influence and inform the way in which we live, right? The outworking of our faith or the outworking of our identity needs to reflect or run parallel with our position in Christ. Last week, we, we kind of defined a couple of things that Paul presented to us that are um, practices or evidences or manifestations of the new life in, our, in the way in which we conduct ourselves. And as a result of our new life, we 
ought to be people who speak the truth in love, right? And speak the truth, right? We need to be people who control our emotions, we looked at last week. People who, who um, are generous, right? A, a reflection of the generosity of God extended through our lives. We need to be people who speak life, speak encouragement, are seeking to, to build up and not tear down, right? To be a blessing and, and not, a, not a detriment, right? Not to be a negative person in people's lives, but be someone who speaks life. That's consistent with the new, the new nature, the new life. We have to be people who, who listen to the Holy Spirit, sense what God is saying to us, and being able to speak life, speak the word of God in an appropriate time into the lives of, of one another. We need to be people who kind of let go of those things that, that hold us back, that keep us from walking in the blessing, the goodness, and the peace of God. And the last one we looked at last week was the importance of, of treating others like Christ treated us. That's, what the, that's the way the new life is to be carried out. That's the way the new life is to be lived out. That's how our interaction and our embracing and, uh, of Christ ought to be seen in our lives. And, and as we continue in our text this morning, as we come to chapter five, Paul kind of continues on that same vein. And he says this in chapter five in verse one. He says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Let's just kind of let that sit in there for a moment. Therefore, be an imitator of God as beloved children. What a powerful charge that is before us. It's an intimidating one, if, right? If we, if we got real honest, that's, you know, the bar is pretty high right there, right? Aren't you encouraged, though, that, that God never calls us to do something and live a certain way, that he doesn't give us the grace and the ability to accomplish it, yeah. right? It's not like God says, hey, do this, knowing fully well that we don't have the tools to pull that off. That'd be cruel, right? That's not the way God is. God's like, no, no, just be an imitator of me, and you see, because we have God, the Holy Spirit within us, that's possible as we, as we live lives that are surrendered. And that's why we said last week the importance of, of listening to his voice. Be imitators of God as beloved children. In other words, in light of who you are, in light of the, the family that you belong to, in light of, of who your father is, as a loving child, Imitate him. Don't you want to hear somebody say, man, you're, you're a chip off the old block in reference to God. Man, how, how, how much of a desire it, it is for, for people to interact with us and, and they walk away feeling like, man, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. He's like, or she's like Jesus. Imitate, imitators of God as beloved children. Years back, my, my kids had one of those little plastic lawnmowers. You remember those little plastic lawnmowers? You know? And I, when I, every time I go out to mow the lawn, I'd be like, hey, come on, let's help dad mow the lawn. And they'd follow behind me like a bunch of little ducks, right? And, and, and they would go up and down the Lord and then side to side and back and forth. And I'd say, you're behind me? And they're behind me and we're going, right? And they'd kind of follow my path and they'd, they'd help me cut the lawn. 
they learn my ways. They intimidate, they, they imitate me as, as loving children. And likewise, as Paul's instructing the family to imitate the God who makes us family, this charge is, is certainly connected to the seven characteristics that we looked at last week as modeled by Jesus. And Paul, he continues to elaborate on that text today where he says, you know, be imitators of God as beloved children. Then he says this, he says, and walk in love. Walk in love. Notice he doesn't say walk out love. Like just, hey man, walk it out. Just do and do and do, do, no. He doesn't say walk out love as as if love was a verb, an action word. Instead, he says this, he says, walk in love. Not as something we do, as much as what everything we do flows out of. Love being a noun. It's the difference between doing lovely things and doing things out of love. Do you see the difference? The first has to do with our behavior. The second has to do with our transformation. It has to do with with being, not doing. To walk in love, everything we do flows out of that. Because here's here's what John teaches us. John says this, John says that God is love. It's not just what God does, it's the very essence of of who he is. He is the epitome of love. And you see, because he is love, everything that God does is loving. But it flows from the very essence of who he is. And see, here's the call, here's the opportunity. You see, as the Holy Spirit is working in our life, as the Holy Spirit is conforming us more and more into the image of God, who is love, the closer we get to Christ, the closer we begin to look like love. And everything we do will flow out of who we are. Walk in love. Not just doing, but being. You see, if, if, we, if we tie love too much with doing, it becomes, it, it, it becomes work, right? It becomes effort. But when it flows out of the very essence of who we are, as a result of the transforming work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we're walking in Love. Paul will define for us some, uh, some, some ways in which this is, is seen. He says, walk in love. Look, as Christ loved us and gave himself for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Walk in love, <clears throat> he says, as Christ loved us. In other words, in order to walk in love, it's critically important to have a healthy understanding of God's love for you. You see, I I don't think we have scratched the surface on our understanding of God's love for us. I think we have been so tainted by broken, unhealthy um, relationships that we start to think that God loves like other people love. 
with all kinds of conditions, right? With all kinds of performances, with all kinds of pressure. That's not how God loves us. He loves us because of who we are, where he is. That's why we spend so much time in that in the beginning, chapters one, two, and three. We need to have a healthy understanding of Christ's love for us so that we can walk in that love. You see, here's the beauty of it. You ready? We're not striving for God's love. We are moving out from God's love, right? We are not striving for his acceptance. We are moving out from his acceptance. That's a big difference, isn't it? If we're moving out from his love and moving out from his acceptance, it brings assurance, right? It brings confidence. It brings safety, right? It allows us to feel like we are his. But if we're striving for love or trying to, or striving for acceptance, then we're constantly keeping score on how good we are, how bad we are. If I failed here, I succeeded here. And how much, you know, what, and I I love the passage that Anthony read this morning, right? It's like, what do you want from me, Lord? Should I give you all these sacrifices? You want all the rams, all the bulls? No, and then God says, no, here's the one thing I want from you. He has shown you, oh man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you. To love justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before your God. God does not love us like that dysfunctional relationship has communicated love to you. As Christ loved us. Go through the pages of the, of, of, of the book. Watch and see how Christ demonstrates love towards us and, and allow yourself, allow, ask the Holy Spirit to open the eyes of your understanding to see the depths and length and breadth of God's love for you. It transforms your life. Because when you fully understand God's love for you, you won't be striving for the love and acceptance of everybody else. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. It's interesting that Paul includes the word offering and and sacrifice in connection with love. You know, sometimes the carrying out of love, the walking out of our faith, it calls us to sacrifice, doesn't it? Sometimes it calls us to sacrifice ourselves, to let go of what we perceive to be our right to be angry and frustrated and seek retribution. But she said that's the very essence of, 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 of what Christ modeled for us. Christ who, who, who didn't deserve anything that he received at the hand of man. Willingly took upon himself. And so, see, love requires sacrifice. Paul says this in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Wow. What does it mean to worship God? Is it just singing? No, so much more than just singing. Worship before God is the giving of ourselves to say, God, use me any way you deem necessary. 
Lord, however my life is going to be pleasing to you, I give you my life. That, Paul says, is worship, right? But, um, he says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. As a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable God, which is our spiritual worship. He says, look, do not be conformed to this world. Don't go back to what you were. Don't be influenced by the world. Don't allow the world to, to influence the way you think and feel and value things and prioritize your life. Don't be conformed to this world, but look, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and, and perfect. And so this idea of walking in love at times is going to call us to, like Christ, Give of ourselves at the expense of allowing the love of Christ to flow out to those people who they just, we don't think they deserve it. Right? I mentioned last week, when we look at those seven characteristics that Paul was highlighting last week, and, and again, this idea of, of loving people that really aren't very lovely, that gets really difficult sometimes. My old football coach used to say, it's a hard piece of crust but somebody's got to chew it. <laughs> you know, we could look at these things and be like, man, there's no way I could possibly pull this off. God, this is killing me. That's why Paul spends so much time in the opening of the chapters, chapter one and two and three, highlighting that our position in Christ is, is what it is because of the grace of God, not our ability to perform and meet God's requirements. And so sometimes it gets really hard. Sometimes we hit it out of the park. And sometimes we trip on our way to the plate <laughs> and get taken out. But it's important that you pick yourself up, dust yourself off, and realize and remember chapters 1, 2, and 3, I'm a child of God. I'm redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. I'm, I'm not what I was. I'm a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. I'm not going to walk as the old man I used to be, but I'm going to walk out the new nature of Christ. I'm going to walk in love. We are walk in love in the same way that Christ loved on us. And then Paul points it out. He says, he loved us so much what he gave himself for us. Christ walking in love walked him right to Calvary. John chapter 15, Jesus says, greater love has no man this than this. Then someone laid down their life for their friends. But it was more than just the laying down of his life that he gave us. We need to remember, remember to make the connection that there was a reason why Christ gave himself for us. I appreciate what Pastor Frank shared this morning. We didn't communicate ahead of time about what, what he or I was going to share. But it's not, that, it's not that Christ just went to the cross. There was a reason why he went to the cross. There was a purpose for which Christ went to the cross. Sometimes people think that, that Christ dying on the cross for our sins was just to show us how much God loves us. And, 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 and in a very 
um, simple way, there, that certainly is true, but I think we, we need to go a little bit deeper than that because clearly we see that Christ's love is, 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 is demonstrated in that action. But we need to recognize, without diminishing the significance of Christ going to the cross and dying for us, we need to recognize, hey, people, other, other people have died for us. There's been many, many men and women over the years who have died for our freedom and died, right? And so pe- people have died for us. I thank God for them. And so it's not, I mean, so again, I'm not minimizing the fact that Christ died for us, but there was a little bit more as to what was going on at that moment. Christ dying on the cross, the sole purpose of that was not just to send the message that I love you. There was a purpose, there was a significance, there was a reason why Christ came. He didn't die on the cross just to show us he loved us. Christ died on the cross to become a sacrifice for our sins. You see, you and I were born under the wrath of God. You and I were born separated. You and I were born in sin. And we couldn't possibly pay the price for our own sin. And so Christ came and Christ died for us And he became the sacrifice for our sins so that we can be accepted by God. He took the penalty of our sin upon himself. And when Christ was on that cross, he he absorbed all the wrath of God that was originally directed towards us. He took it upon himself absorbing all of God's wrath in such a way that there was no more wrath from God directed towards us. Instead, Jesus took it all upon himself and declared, it is finished. And as a result, afterwards, we no longer remain under the wrath of God, but under the favor of God. As we embrace Christ's work on the cross for our sins, he went to the cross for a very significant reason. Christ loved us and gave himself for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. A fragrant offering, that's terminology that causes us to to kind of look back in the Old Testament at the the sacrificial system, right? Where where sacrifices would be made and and, and a fragrant aroma of that sacrifice would rise to the air and it would be pleasing to God. It'd be acceptable to God, right? It satisfied God's just demands. This aroma was produced by the sacrifice, And you see, in the Old Testament, every one of those sacrifices, really they were a type of another sacrifice that was going to come, right? John the Baptist saw him and he said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Christ comes as our sacrifice. And when Christ died, the aroma of that sacrifice was pleasing to God. Look at Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 12. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. That means it was accepted. It was complete. He did that waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet, pointing to the future. For by a single offering on the cross, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. 
if you could picture a timeline in your mind and, and, and you know, we have the beginning of time and the end of time, above that timeline is Christ on the cross offered as a sacrifice. And when he was ple- he, his sacrifice was accepted to God, what that acceptance covered all of time for all of those who are being sanctified. Christ, our model. Christ loved us sacrificially. And we are to imitate as dear children our God. So what's the takeaway? I mean, the the new life as described in chapters one through three transformed by the the working of the Holy Spirit ought to be a more loving person. Not just in actions, but in essence. They imitate God in such a way that we love others sacrificially just as Christ loved us. Now I'm not saying anybody needs to physically lay down their life for someone but perhaps we could be a little bit more patient with one another. Perhaps, because how many, has God been patient with with you? Thank God for his patience. How many have felt like they've thought they exhausted God's patience? It's kind of moved into long suffering, right? God is long suffering towards us, right? Can't, Can't we, can't, can't we extend that to one another? Yes. Maybe, maybe it looks like understanding one another a little bit better. Maybe, maybe it means, maybe we imitate God by being willing to forgive one another. Yeah, well, I'll forgive them when they come and they ask my forgiveness. Well, you know what? Sometimes... That's not necessary. Sometimes you just need to let it go. That's necessary for reconciliation. But sometimes you just need to let it go, as we talked last week. Sometimes that needs to, walking in love needs to look like being generous with one another. Because that's the reflection of our Father who is generous. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. Right? We ought to Imitate, be a chip off the old block. You know, generosity with one another. We encourage one another. Be overly generous with our encouragement for each other. Speak life into each other's lives. Be that person to build somebody up. That's walking in love. Because God builds us up. It's extending love towards one another. Walking in love just as Christ extended it to us. Walk in love. Let's imitate. Let's be a chip off the old block. Paul will continue. Kind of shifts gears a little bit, but not so much. He said, but, right, here comes the other, the other foot's about to drop, right? Walk in love, but, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, 
Let there be thanksgiving. Look at what Paul is saying here. He's saying, don't let there be sexual morality or impurity or covetousness. These shouldn't even be named among you. Why? He says here, that's not proper for saints. In other words, it's not fitting. It's not consistent. It's not who you are. That's not the new life that we are in Christ. That was the old life. And that's the, con- Paul's presenting a contrast between the two, right? He's saying that's what you were. He says, don't let there be any filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking. Look, he says, those are out of place for you. That, that doesn't belong with you. That's not consistent with my children. He says, instead, let there, let there be thanksgiving. Be thankful, people. He says, look, he says, for you may be sure of this. That's, that's akin to Jesus's verily, verily, I say to you, right? For you may be sure of this, that everyone, everybody say everyone. Everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or is, who is covetous, that is an idolatra, idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Those are hard words. But remember, Paul is presenting a contrast here from what we were to who we are. And he's saying, for that one, this is what it looks like for them. There's sexual immorality. There's impurity. There's covetousness. It's interesting. Covetous, why why does that belong there? Well, covetous, what is that? That's wanting something that's not yours to have. And in the context of this verse, that wife who's not your, that woman who's not your wife is not yours to have, not yours to fantasize about, not for you to look at, connect with, hook up with, whatever. That man who's not your husband is not for you to have. He says, that's an idolater. What is an idolater? Well, in this particular case, it's, it's making sexual immorality an idol. Because what's an idol? An idol is anything that gets between me and God, right? And so if someone is acting out in that area of sexual immorality, they're not listening to God, they're following the desires of their flesh, and that sexual immorality is becoming idolatrous. Now, Paul is, again, contrasting here. He's contrasting the ways of the old life with the ways of the new. Sexual immorality, as clearly described in the Bible, is sex outside of marriage, outside of the marriage covenant between a biological man and a biological woman. It's not up for discussion, redefining, doesn't need to be reconsidered or negotiated or compromised. What God says is a man is clearly a man. What God says a woman is clearly a woman. That's how he has designed it. And sex is to take place inside the, the marriage covenant between a man and a woman and is not up for negotiation. Sacred, sex is the sacred expression that God created to be enjoyed in the context of marriage. And as we'll read later on, as we get further into chapter five and we look at marriage, we'll see that marriage is so sacred because it's a reflection 
of Christ in the church. No wonder the enemy is trying so hard to redefine and pervert and pollute marriage. He says, these things should not even be named, named among you as is proper for the saints. Why? Because it's not consistent with who we are. We're new creations in Christ. And Paul says it's not proper or fitting among saints. In fact, Paul, Paul adds here, he says, look, for you may be, be sure of this, that everyone who's sexually immoral or impure or covetous has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ. What's Paul saying here? Paul's not saying you're going to lose your salvation. We already spent a lot of time in chapter 1 and 2 and 3 celebrating the fact that we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. Before the foundations of the world, God sealed us in him. We are in Christ. What he is saying here is that the one who actively engages in sexual immorality, they weren't Christians to begin with. That's what they were. They're not walking in the, you can't be actively engaging. And, I, and, I'm, and, making, and I'm using the word actively because I know people mess up. And I'm not suggesting that if you messed up and you're not a believer, but that one who is just like, hey, you know what? I know what it says, but I'm gonna do it anyway. And they don't feel like it's wrong. They don't feel like, they don't care. They're not believers anyway. That's what the scripture teaches Look what John, John will say this. John says this. Do not love the world, 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. He's speaking to believers. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, it's not from the Father, but it's from the world. That's consistent with the old nature, the old way of doing things. And that world, he says, is passing away along with his desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. You see, this is, this is an invitation to walk in the blessings and goodness of, of what God has for us. He's saying, man, don't, don't settle for what the world has to offer. Don't, don't follow and don't love the things the world has to offer. It's a counterfeit. It's not real. It's not going to bring fulfillment. It's not going to bring peace. It's not going to bring joy. But follow the things of God. Walk in your design. Walk as God has called you and equipped you to walk. And you'll sense and, and walk in the blessings of God. And find your purpose. Paul, John saying, speaking in the same, to the same church, he says this, he says, children, it's the last hour. And as, you've heard, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Speaking about those who are against Christ. We live in an Antichrist age. You realize that, right? Antichrist. He says, therefore, we know that it is the last hour. And then speaking about the people who are, who are joining in their gathering, those who were partaking in the community of Christ, he says this about them, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. 
But they went out that it might become plain that they are not all of us. In other words, their actions reveal their identity. Over time, a person's actions will reveal their identity. And that's what, Paul, that's what John is saying here. Hey, they went out from us, they weren't of us. Because if they had been of us, they'd still be with us. But they went out to reveal they never were a part of us. Us meaning the church, believers. What's the essence of what Paul is saying in our passage today? He's saying this, that as children of God, we imitate God as beloved children. We follow his lead. We walk in his ways. We hear and obey his words. And Paul is presenting the contrast to that in this text, saying that the children of the world, which we are not, the children of the world, they imitate the world. And the children of the world, because they're of the world, they imitate the world, they engage in all kinds of sexual immorality and impurity and idolatry. But that's not who we are. God's called us to a higher standard, to a higher life. You see, what we believe will be evidenced in what we do, not what we say. There's a difference between having a profession of faith and having a possession of faith. And our, the possession of faith will be revealed in the way in which we live our lives. Therefore, Integrity Church, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. A fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Let's be a chip off the old block. Father, that's our heart's desire. We're aware, Lord, of how Short we fall in so many ways. But thank you that you who began a good work in us will complete it unto the day of Jesus Christ. Thank you that as Paul scribed to the Ephesians, we are your workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. And so Lord, I pray that as we look to you that we would imitate you. Lord, would you give us a greater hunger to follow hard after you? Lord, would you give us a greater desire to be a reflection of you in the world around us? Why? So that we might make you proud. So that we might be a chip off the old block. So that others might see that the apple didn't roll far from the tree and might come to the Savior. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.